0: Logistics Buyer Survey with my friend Jim Bierfeld. How's it going, Jim?
1: Good, Joe. Great to talk to you again.
0: Yeah, we were just talking about it. You've been on my podcast at least once, and uh, but it's been a few years. So please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
1: Sure. We're in Connecticut. Uh, I'm uh, the founder and president of a company called Logistics Marketing Advisors. You know, I spent a lot of years on the corporate side in logistics kind of running running marketing for three p l and back in two thousand four kind of decided to to start my own company and focus exclusively on supply chain you know working with business uh logistics businesses exclusively so that's what's kept me busy for the last you know whatever number of years
0: I think you're probably one of the first agencies. That focused on logistics and transportation market.
1: Yeah, they're, they're popping up more. It's such a hot, hot area, obviously.
0: But I can tell you this because I, I, I did some digital marketing before myself. In fact, I did some work for you. I think I wrote some. Articles. You sure did. Yeah, yeah. I think it was on the Food Safety Modernization Act. I thank very you for good. that bit. Bu- thank you for that business. I blew uh, that money on food and shelter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there weren't company companies were very reluctant in 2004 to spend anything on digital marketing it was like pulling teeth to get companies to do a website cuz i i, I kind of experienced it myself where you're like guys everyone else has websites you're like a 100 million dollar company with a cheapo website from 80 87 or something yeah yeah
1: yeah well i'm listen this this uh, you know it's amazing how the industry has changed it's amazing the amount of you know venture capital money that's coming into the industry and you know those guys want to grow right so there's pressure.
0: I think they changed it because the venture capital backed companies, especially if they're in Silicon Valley, well wherever they're at, they're like, Of course we have a marketing budget. Of course we're gonna have a top-notch website. And yeah. then all of a sudden all the industry leaders are like, Well, I guess if that VC back company can have a website, we can go ahead and splurge and get one too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you're right.
0: So Jim, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Logistics, marketing advisors.
1: Yeah, yeah. You want me to go back to McDonald's? How far do you want me to go? (laughs) All the way back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm. I'm a New York City guy. Grew up in the Bronx, New York. Uh, Went to Fordham in in the Bronx. Very nice. Got my masters at Fordham, and kind of went on to uh, you know a a range of uh, sort of marketing related uh, positions, mostly in the agency world. You know, worked for some you know bigger agencies, and you know, finally uh, got a job with a 3PL here in Connecticut you know, and, and was, you know, with them eight or nine years, they got purchased by Kuna Nagel. So I worked for Kuna Nagel oh, for a number of years. Very
0: nice. Can't get bigger than that. Yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly. And then, uh, and then again, again, as I say, I, in uh, after my stint with Kuna Nagel in 2004, I started started this company. So i uh, been at
0: it for a while. So you went to Kuna Nagel. And how long do you stay there?
1: I was there about, you know, Usco Logistics at, became Kununato, but the whole stint was
0: about eight, nine years. So when and why did you start Logistics Marketing Advisors? What hole did you see in the market?
1: You know, I I, I had worked with some agencies that, you know, purported to really know the space, but they didn't really. You know, and I just felt like there was a, there was a real appetite, and there is, uh, for an agency that kind of, you know, we're professional communicators and professional marketers, but, you know, didn't have to ask what a backhaul is or you know, what is. So you?
0: So you saw an opportunity. And so you started this company in 2004. And I think one of the things I wanted to talk to you today about, and I've seen years ago, I don't know how long you've been doing it, but you've been doing this logistics buyer survey. How many, how many times have you done it?
1: started it in 2014, do it every 2 years. So this will be the 5th. The one I just completed was the 5th.
0: So, you created this report every 2 years and it's actually only interviewing logistics buyers. And I remember you telling me years ago that the biggest problem with this survey is who answers the survey? 3PLs, <laughs> carriers. They know. <laughs> yeah. Brokers know, carriers know. But it's hard to get actual shippers to take the time to do the survey. I'm I'm assuming you found a a good group this time, but I know that was the struggle. Every 3PO and their brother said, I am ready, willing, and able to do a shipper survey for you. Yeah,
1: the problem is you're you're not shippers. (laughs) So this is is exclusively shippers. This is... um, uh, it's it's hard. It takes a long time to get, you know, I get a I hundred people, try to keep it director level and above. You know, a lot of them are freight people, but could be, you know, buyers of warehousing services, freight services, global freight services. It's all over the map, you know, it could be material handling equipment, but it's, it's people on the other end of the phone that the providers are trying to get to buy. Those are the people I talk to.
0: And I think we talked about this once before, but I remember you, some of the things that you said to me. Well, maybe we'll just jump in and start talk time. So the, what I found very interesting was some of the buyer complaints. So why don't we start with that? When you talk to shippers, what do they complain about when they hear from brokers, 3PLs, and carriers?
1: Yeah, the, the biggest complaint is, is generic pitches. You know, they, n- number one, they're busy, right? So, you know, they get lots of calls, lots of emails, and, and it's an intrusion on their time, right? Right. For the right kind of pitch, if you can help them. They'll make the time because let's face it, they need what providers have to offer. But where they get a little annoyed, to be honest with you, is the, the people who call and, and just, you know, hey, we've, we've got, <laughs> you need capacity, we've got capacity, let's talk. And they don't know anything about the business. I mean, people have told me in the survey, hey, you know, I'm, you know I should, you know, you know, reefer freight and you know, people are calling me, with, you know, who run dry vans and, and I never use dry vans. So they haven't done an iota of, of research. And they get a little annoyed because it's it's like, you know, you're not respecting my time. You're asking for my time, but you're not respecting it enough to, to do the research.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I seem to remember from last time we talked about this is not only is it generic, generic pitch, same pitch for everybody, but it's also I have no idea what your business is. And I think you said something to the effect of, I know I'm just another name on a list and they're saying the same thing to me that they said to the guy before me and they'll say to the gal after me. Well,
1: yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, you know, and and these are actual verbatims. You know, I, I, I hate to feel like I'm number 17 on today's call list, you know, or one of
0: a thousand emails that were sent with one touch of a button you know to a thousand people and and I think we're getting as an industry I think we're getting better but I hear I did used to do a lot of sales training and I would talk to mostly young people who were at agencies brokers freight agencies whatever you want to call them who said I just got here I just got out of school and I've got to make all these phone calls and I f- it's kind of miserable because like I I I'm uh don't know what to say I feel like I'm a being a pest and I was like oh you are being a pest and and I tell this Joke about It's a joke. It's the truth. Many years ago, when I was still moving freight, I needed a backhaul. So I called a broker. I was at a carrier. So I called a very large broker. And I said, can you get me a backhaul? I don't remember if they got me the backhaul or not. But from then on, I was on their list. And every few months, I would get usually what sounded like a very young person, young man or young woman, and they go, Hi, Joe, this is uh, so-and-so from blah, blah, blah. And we want to move your freight. You know, we can do a great job, whatever their pitch was. And I was like, I said, one time you guys did a backhaul for us. I said, I, I'm, I work at a carrier. I don't have freight for you. And then then they would say, oh, okay. And then I said, did you just start there? And they say, yeah. I go, you know what you have? You have the dead list. I moved <laughs> one shipment with you a long time ago. Yeah. And every few months, the new guy gets it. And he goes, and one guy said, I don't think so. They said these are good leads. And I said, do you think they gave the good leads to the 22-year-old who just got here? Or do you think you got the dead list? And he goes, I got the dead list. You know, I
1: was, I was just looking for a quote in the report, and I can't find it like quickly here, but I can paraphrase it pretty well. It was in in, in this latest survey, the guy said, um, you know, I'm a multi-billion dollar company. I'm a senior level exec, uh, logistics executive. And, you know, you shouldn't have junior people calling me. He was he was complaining about the exact thing we're talking about. So he says in about 10 seconds, I can tell whether this person actually knows what they're talking about or not. And excuse me, but, you know, maybe you can say it's egotistical. But he says, you know, they know my title. They know my company. These people shouldn't be reaching out to me. It should be somebody else. So, again, it goes back to that. You know respect my
0: time respect me yep so i know so one of the big buyer complaints is how they're engaging is what any others come to mind before we switch and talk about some other things related to the survey
1: you know i I think it it kind of goes back to this generic thing i mean you know if we ask the question what, what you know what's the you know the best way to contact you and and you know since 2014 email hands down right But it's not like, you know, hey, please email me. It's more like, okay, of the choices you gave me, phone call, this, that, the other thing, you know, email just comes across as less intrusive. I can ignore it, frankly. It doesn't mean I necessarily want people to email me. But, you know, I I feel like with email, it can work. But the only way it can work is if it's, it's a little more custom. You know, marketers are their own worst enemy sometimes in the sense that just because we can you know, reach out to a hundred thousand people with a touch of a button doesn't mean we should because you know, buyers understand a, a generic come on and, and as you know very distinct from I know your business, I understand a problem right. you're having, I think I can solve it.
0: I have a, a buddy of mine, Steve he has been on the podcast a few times and he always said to me, he goes, I don't I don't cold call. What I do is I research the company, their industry, I understand the biggest problems. And when I call I'm going to talk to that person one way or another, and I'm going to have something to say that is valuable to them. I'm not going to waste their time. So so it, the, I think this is where you get a lot of young people feeling very apprehensive is when they're told, make a whole bunch of phone calls, and you haven't done the research. And I think what makes it so much better is if, let's just say, your company specializes in retail, and you're able to say, I move some retail loads every week, and then when you call the next retailer, you say, Hi, uh, my name's Joe and um, you know, I specialize our company specializes in retail and we work with Target, we work with Walmart, and you know, we understand the business, we understand some of the challenges, and we'd love to talk to you. That means a lot more than than the guy who calls to your point. You need you need reefers, and there you go. Oh, well, yeah. we don't do reefer. <laughs> then well, why the hell did you call me? You should have known I'm a food company. <laughs> and I, I don't blame the, the you know, the young, the young doctor nope. on the call. You know, that's
1: their boss saying, this is a model. We're going to embrace this model. As far as I'm concerned, it's really more an issue of quality over quantity. So what would you rather do? Spend a little bit of extra time, make one call that says, you know, and, and let's let's use an example, right? Let's say, Let's say, hey, you know, I I know you're moving a lot of freight out of your factory in Birmingham, Alabama. We happen to for a big customer bring loads into Birmingham. We need to get home. There's some overlap in our networks we think could help us both. Do you want to talk? Well, I mean, let's make that one phone call. Take the time to do the research. Forget about those other 15 generic calls you're going to make and let's move to quality over quantity because the market and the buyers of this survey is telling them telling us that's what works emails and phone calls to strangers does not work
0: yep it, and, and i'll throw one other thing in there and, and i don't i don't say this to be braggy. It just I, I i before i did all these podcasts i used to do webinars marketing webinars and i remember i would take that list 100 people would sign up and then i would kind of decide i what i realized is calling people after the webinar isn't as effective as calling them before so there's if you get 100 people to sign up maybe five are good potential customers i would connect with them on linkedin and i would send them a quick note i'd say something like hey jim i see you signed up for my webinar this week Could i talk to you for 15 minutes i just want to understand what you want to understand yeah. and what i learned sometimes people just unload like one this is somewhat self-serving but i did a 3pl uh, how to select a 3pl many many times i i spoke at conferences on that because people liked the topic but what was interesting is they kind of felt like they owed me because they were coming to my webinar, and also they, it wasn't a sales call. I was just saying, "What do you, what are you hoping to learn from the webinar?" And I remember doing one on cross border Mexico shipments, and some guy goes, "We're just struggling with my, our Mexico shipments. That's all." And I worked for a company that did a lot of cross border, and I was like, "Okay." So I just I played it straight. I wasn't. I was, but I had a conversation with him prior to the webinar. Then when the webinar actually happened. Sometimes they don't even show up, which is great. But if they show up, at least I can say, hey, Jim, you know, when the webinar starting, Jim, good to see you. Glad- yeah, yeah. Um, great talking to you the I other love day. That.
1: That's a great example.
0: But what was interesting, I always thought this was the most telling. I called a very large company and I was talking to this lady. I, I said, this is Joe Lynch, blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, yeah, we, we, don't, we don't really need any help in that area, blah, blah, blah. And she was not rude, but short. The next morning, I woke up, opened my emails. I like got an email from her. Oh, my God. It just occurred to me. I was somewhat short with you on the phone. I didn't know who I was talking to. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm doing a webinar. I'm not, I'm not a deity. And then she said, give me a call. I, now, I, she did not have a need, but she was very open, told me all about their business. And I was like. And I just felt like I built my credibility quite a bit in these people's eyes just because I was doing something for right, them. Right, right, right. And and again, not engaging as just a sales guy, but is hopefully an expert in the space.
1: Yeah. It's it's tough, you know, even even me picking up the call, my own phone, it's tough not to be a little curt and, and short with people. And, and this is again, I'm hearing it from buyers, because of the volume, Joe. I mean, we're talking right. about dozens a week. How are they gonna get their work done?
0: You know? I got Last week, I got on some list, and it was from my own area code, and they all said the same thing, and it was from a call center with healthcare stuff. And I felt bad for the people having to do it, but they must have called me 40 times. Different numbers. I blocked each time. And I, and by the end, I was like, you guys are super persistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, I'll just throw this in here, but
1: I, I think... I think it's important, I mean, it's not news, right, for us to tell your listeners that the guys they're calling and emailing are busy, right? But it's it's important for them to think about the context, right? They love their product, they believe their product can solve a problem, but from the point of view of the buyer, they are like one kind of indiscernible element of a Where's Waldo illustration. That's their world and that's how they see you. And unless you can figure out quickly, you know, how you can, you know, figure out why I'm, you know, different or better. You're just going to get lost in that Where's Waldo il- illustration. It's that's the world they live in.
0: I've I've said this before on my podcast, but I think it's very true. Like if I was to call you right now, let's just say a bank called you and said, Hey, Jim, I, I want to get you over here. You, you know, you'd be a great fit for our, our, your, your, your business owner. And we'll give you a, uh, interest on your money, and we'll get you a debit card and a credit card and a line of credit. And you're like, "Oh my god, that's spectacular!" Uh, We'll give you a free pen. I mean, like, it's just nothing, 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 nothing. But if somebody called and said, you know, we have this special plan for business owners in Connecticut, and actually had something that was specialized towards you, that would mean something. And I feel like sometimes we don't we don't create niches that actually make sense. So then we have nothing to say. And I feel like if you don't have a specialty where you can say, look, we move a ton of frozen food. We understand frozen food. And I know you guys have frozen food. Let us help. And by the way, be able to send them a, hey, come to our frozen food webinar or our conference or something that actually shows some expertise beyond, I know how to dial the phone and we have a whole bunch of guys doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just... With all the sales training and any sales training, you
0: do sales training. So you know this better than anyone. Not anymore, but a little bit. I probably had 10, 10 sales trainers on here though.
1: But there's no sales training you're going to go to that's not going to say, it's problem first. It's problem first. Don't start selling until you understand the problem. Joe, why are, why are, why are these buyers telling me that people are just, you know, they're, they're picking up the fines like, here's what we have. You know, let me tell you how many, you know, right, let me tell you the size of our carrier network. Let me tell you, you know, the size of our warehouse network. Why is it that for decades we've been talking about problem first, but it's still, people still want to
0: talk about their stuff. Right. So how do sh- these shippers want us to engage with them?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it's interesting when I, when we asked the question about, you know, the last time you reached out to a logistics company proactively, why did you number one, a colleague recommendation. So the real strong advice from the buyers I talked to was, you know, if somebody's got an issue, or somebody's got a solution that they can really help me with, honestly, it helps to figure out if there's if there's a mutual connection, and then and then approach me that way, because otherwise, I might sort of filter them out. So coming to them through a mutual colleague is a real, real plus. Number two answer, interesting to that question, was create content. If I see it and I like it, I'll contact you. So basically what they're saying is, you know, the best way to contact me is not to contact me. (laughs) Create stuff that helps me do my job. If I like it, I'll reach out to you, which I think is sort of interesting, particularly to, you know, content marketers like myself. That's, uh, that's
0: Right, what but the challenge do. is if, if I've got sales guys, then the sales guys are coming down to the marketing and saying, well, who should I reach out to? Who reached out to us so I can follow up with them? And that's, I think, what traditionally, we've, we've had small marketing departments and huge sales departments. So we want those sales guys to just bang those phones. When And by the way, that's that has worked. It doesn't work for everybody. I will say a, a lot of people start start uh, making those 40, 50, 100 phone calls a day, and quickly realize I should be doing something else for a living. But the people who do, there are people who have become very successful that way. And a lot of times they open their own brokerages at some point. And then, then they say, That's the only way I know how. that's, That's how I got here. I, I'm, I'm I've got uh, a successful company. This is the horse I rode in on. Yeah. No. Listen. If it works, you know, keep doing it. That
1: that's the bottom line. But the, the 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 survey, the research tells tells us, hey, you know, I'm 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 working real hard to filter these people out and not talk to cold callers who want to get my attention. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You mentioned when we before we hit record, you mentioned that this is hide and seek in reverse. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I love your take on this, Joe, too. But you know, to me, let's say there's, let's say there's a, a pipeline problem. Okay, the pipeline's empty. CEO's Always. looking at it. You know, <laughs> runs into the sales VP's office and said, you know, what are the questions he's going to ask? You know, my thinking is they're asking, you know, who are we targeting? You know, what prospects are on your list? You know, what industries are we targeting? You know, as if that had anything to do with who's Ready to buy. You know, so the the mentality is we're it in a traditional game of hide and seek. We're it and we're out looking for the buyers and the buyers are hiding. Our job, your job as a salesperson, is to find them. And if we find them, we can sell them and everybody will be happy. It's not the way buyers buy today, right? They're, you know, and you and I have talked about this, they're they're doing their research. They're actually it, strangely enough. When they have a problem, they're going to go out and they're not going to talk to 20 providers. They're going to do their research. They're going to call their colleagues. They're going to talk to a couple of consultants and they're going to decide, you know, these are the three or four I'm going to talk to because I've determined that these people are best able to solve my specific problem. So what is R? you know, in, in the sort of reverse game of hide and seek, we're not it anymore. Our, you know, people are looking for us. Our job is to get found. You know, we're not, you know, we actually want to get found. That's the twist on the traditional hide-and-seek. So what do we do to get found? And as far as I'm concerned, the enlightened CEO is going to run into the sales guy's office. And instead of saying, who are you targeting? He's going to say, what are the problems that we solve better than anybody else? Okay. Those three things. Okay. What are we doing? to let the world know that we solve these three problems better than anybody else in the world, because you know what? Buyers are smart. And if they do their research and they do their due due diligence, and they do, by the way, they're going to find us and they're going to contact us. And those are the best leads that we can get because they pre-vetted us, you know, during the, and we can argue about the percentages, but they're saying lately that 80% of the bias buying process happens before people talk to vendors.
0: And before they're even visible.
1: Yeah. They're exactly. not
0: visible to the brands. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to feel old saying this, but I'll say it just the same. In the olden days, before uh, there was the internet, and I'm, I can say this because I've worked in, during those times where we didn't have, we had computers but no internet. And when some a supplier came to visit, a sales guy came to visit, He would enlighten you about what was going on in the industry and what they sold. And you usually wouldn't have a good sense of who they even compete against unless it's a really well-developed industry. So they might just be the guy who's down the street and he he's in a geographic location. He can show up and see you. And he had to be the real good sales guy because he could close because you don't even know another option now if right now let's just say somebody said oh, i was listening to jim beerfield he's got this logistics marketing advisor sounds like a smart guy what other marketing advisors are out there goes online googles it finds his, you know a, a, a half dozen and then says yeah jim was good i just want to see what else is out there and and they might look at your content and go yeah that's good yeah I actually i do want to work with him but they're going to check and see who else is out there that's what's changed is everybody knows there's an option. And it's the same when we buy a car. I always say if you were to go buy a car for 50 grand right now. <laughs> you don't start by driving from dealership to dealership. You go online and say, what's, what are the surveys saying? Who's a good, who's a good option? And then you might look at a few websites. You might look at some, the same with when you're buying a house, when you're sending your kid off to college, going on a trip to Europe, it's all the same. It begins online. And I think this is a little bit of still a, a, a long transition for companies that have become very successful with banging the phones is recognizing that the buyer, buyer's journey begins on the web. <laughs> and I think we know that, but you got to yeah. hear it again. Yeah.
1: So, so, you know, it's
0: buyers are smart. That's the yep. bottom line.
1: And... Uh, you know they're 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 out there looking for the best solution to their problem. And you know, going back to the hide and seek example, you think about Hansel and Gretel. You know, he just how did he find his way out of the forest? He left the trail of breadcrumbs. Right. Well, I mean, how are we going to make ourselves easier to get found? And content is is our breadcrumbs.
0: What's a, what's also crazy, Jim? I'm, I'm actually I'm doing a webinar this afternoon with a warehousing management company Softian. Those work those work so you, you will have a hundred com- some emails right great way to go that's not typically the way people connect these days they they'll listen to podcasts like mine but i can't tell you who listened to my podcast i can give you demographics and so they might say yeah, i checked out jim jim Beerfield on joe lynch's podcast and i listened to him for 40 minutes and kind of like him but might they might be looking at other marketing companies and they might go back to your website at some point but they're going to, get, and the problem with all this is it's that dark funnel. We've talked about it before on my podcast. 80% of the buyer's journey, maybe more, is completely not visible to the marketers and the salespeople. They're investigating us on our social media, on the content we create, on the podcasts we do, and the webinars. Well, at the webinars, you actually give your email. and But they, they are hiding. They say, we've all become pretty savvy. How many times have you been asked to sign your name on something and your email address and your age and your address? And you're like, no, 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 no. I just want, I wanted a white paper. I don't need, yeah. <laughs> I don't need to give you every speck of information about me so you can put me in your database and bug me forevermore. We're all more savvy than that now. And, and you know, my, my attitude
1: these days, Joe, is, is let them hide. Let them hide. Give them the information. Don't put it behind a form. You know, let them consume your content in the easiest way possible. Don't gate that stuff. You know, they're going to buy when they're ready to buy. So just make it as easy as possible for people to get your stuff and and, uh, stop gating. That's my take. And, you know, listen, all, all my clients don't agree with that. Because right. they've they've got bosses that they have to show numbers to, right?
0: No, it's it, this is there's there's no there's no easy answer to this. And by the way, before we hit record, we had a little conversation about how, well, you know, we want to treat sales and marketing the same way we want to treat the operations. In operations, we create processes, then we know we're going to keep making that operation tighter and tighter and tighter, and it's going to be faster, better, cheaper all the time. And then we want to apply that same mindset to sales, but it's not, we're not, we don't own the process. We only own part of the process.
1: We want to own the process and we think we own the process. You talked about it before. Oh, we throw out a white paper. They fill out a form. Oh, oh boy, he must be in a buying mode. We're going to call him two days later. You know, And, and, and he's like, what? I, I downloaded a white paper? I don't remember that. Yeah.
0: I've used that analogy for a short time. It seemed as if marketing was going to be easy because we would just say well well, they they downloaded a white paper attended a webinar put them on my list we pinged them with emails we called them a few times they are on the expressway to a sale i'm going to ping them 10 times and at some point when they're ready boom they're going to buy but i think the reality now is they don't download the white paper they don't necessarily attend the webinar and they are not on that expressway they're on the off-roading in the mountains next to the expressway but they're still observing us and that's I think this is the dark funnel and this is why sometimes you hear people say people show up 80 percent sold saying I like you guys they've done their work they've done that investigation without you even being involved with it and then they show up ready to buy
1: yeah and those are the best leads
0: by the way I gotta throw one other thing out there and I'm sure this has happened to you too every once in a while people would reach out and say, I really need, and I, I did some logistics, digital marketing for a while, and I did some sales training and sales consulting. People would reach out and say, we really need sales training, please give me a call. I was like, excellent, call him, can't reach him, send him an email, hey, I called you, you, you didn't answer. And they never talked to me. <laughs> I've gotten I've gotten that for digital marketing, for sales, and it's like, oh my God. And, I, and all I think is, it was really important right then. And then something else happened. Yeah. 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 So it's sales is hard, but it's by the way, it's, it's a business that is, if you're 10%, 15% close rate, you're like killing it. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, let's switch gears here. So Jim, you've created this research. It's 19 pages long, very nicely organized. So the one thing that I wanted to talk about was do you agree with the following statements? And and by the way, is this report available? I mean, will you email this to people or is it on your website? How to? Yeah, yeah. No, you want me to, I
1: I can, you know, they can go to my website, logisticsmarketing.com slash survey. Yeah. So what I'll do is
0: I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So anybody listening, definitely, I mean, we, we can't do justice to this in 40 minutes. Jim's done a lot of research over the years. So I want to talk just kind of some of these takeaways. So, one statement was: "Logistic salespeople that don't know me should never call me." So, t- take us through that from 2016 through 2022. Do you have that in front of you, by the way?
1: It's been yeah, it's been fairly consistent. Right now, a little over half the people would agree with that. Say, please don't call me. But it, it's it's hovered around that fifty percent mark. So they're not. It's not you know, cold calls are not a dead end, but. What what the buyers that I actually talk to say is, hey, send me an email before you call. Tell me a little bit about what you're thinking. You know what the value prop is. Follow up with a phone call. So that many people
0: best. are doing that now. i have yeah. seen more and more of that. So 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 definitely send that email, had a t- targeted email before calling. And again, fifty recognize that fifty percent don't necessarily want to call at all. The next one I saw here is I pay attention to the print advertisements in the logistics trade magazine. So you've done this survey in 16 14 16 18 20 and 22 so what are they saying now about that do they pay attention to those well two points there number one yeah about 50% say you know
1: i'll pay attention to them but that that question is a little off now you know and i leave the same questions in year after year for a reason because i want to understand the difference but one of the other questions was where do you get the, your information right the number one source in 2014, was print magazines logistics print magazines. You know where that is now? It's seventh or eighth down the list. They're going to the websites of those same organizations, right? But they're not really sitting down and reading a print magazine. So the idea of paying attention to an ad, 50% will. The problem is they're not really they're not really reading those. Uh, you know what most of them are doing, and what they're telling me, Joe, is they rely on the sort of the daily, weekly updates that come from those same media organizations. You know, hey, I get into my desk, get there at 7 a.m. I'm going to read my my quick, you know, here's my daily digest. What happened yesterday? What's happening today? Well, I
0: think so many people are checking out stuff like Freight Waves. There's podcasts yeah. like mine. There's, um, We weren't out there so, uh, not so long ago, but also a lot of people are going on YouTube. There's just, there's new media. By the way, I, I suspect I'm not the only one who went through this. For years, people would call me and say, Joe, we want to give you a free subscription to whatever, right? Some logistics or material handling or something. And then they say, y'all, Yo, if you could just answer a few questions. And literally, it's 100 questions. Yeah. And do you buy the following services? And then they tick off every service that another son. And then do you influence the buy? And, and And after a while, I said, no, no, no. Your magazine's not worth it to me anymore. I, it just clutters my house. It gets here. I, I know if I'm checking something out, I'm looking on LinkedIn. I'm looking on maybe and when I, I start with LinkedIn, it's my news feed. But then I also follow stuff on Facebook. And by the way, I'm not, I don't think I'm the only one. I know especially younger people. I follow people on YouTube and uh, Instagram too. There's more and more st- information that's just easier to digest. And I don't have to fill out uh, a form. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the next one I take away here, it says, I log into to LinkedIn at least once a week. So how has that changed over time?
1: That was 50% back in 2016. And the latest, it's near 80%. So kind of predictable, right? More and more people are tuned into social LinkedIn more than anything else uh, as far as logistics professionals go.
0: Yep. And I would say this, we, uh, there's been some salespeople on my podcast who've said this, and I'm sure you would agree. If I should connect with a shipper and say, okay, I connected, if they were kind enough to connect with me. Don't send, <laughs> don't send your pitch next. See what they're talking about. Follow them. If they're in a conversation with some people you know, get involved in that conversation, add some value, make sure that you're actually a decent fit. I sometimes accept a LinkedIn invitation to immediately get six messages from them right away, where I think, geez, oh, Pete, I don't know you from Adam. And and all of a sudden, we're connected. And now you're saying, when are we going to meet? Never. Yeah,
1: and buyers, are, buyers are telling me they're wise to that. And they're really reticent to make those connections. Because you know it's the same reason you don't give information to download a white paper. Because you know you're going to get a bunch of emails and
0: phone calls after. And I, by the way, I'm very open to the, and you know, what kills me is I don't buy logistics services and I don't sell logistics service. I'm a logistics podcaster. People connect with me and then immediately say, I would like to move your freight to, from China. And I was like, <laughs> did you look even look at my LinkedIn profile? And the answer has got to be, no, I didn't. So anyway, back to it. LinkedIn is the way. <laughs> so. I see the next thing here. It says, when consuming logistics or provider-related information, I prefer to watch a video versus read a blog post. So how has that changed from 2016 till today?
1: The, the truth is, you might assume it would um, change a lot, you know, because I, I prefer it's easier for me to look at a video and get smart in two minutes rather than sitting down to read something. It hasn't changed much. Most of the people disagree with that. You know, in the latest survey, sixty sixty-six per sixty-five percent disagree, thirty-five percent agree. So yeah,
0: buyers love, you know, the
1: ease of, of watching a video, but it doesn't mean they won't read. Um, that's what they're telling me.
0: I'm, I think I'm a tough case. We all probably are, but every once in a while I'll go and it's this is the Wall Street Journal, a lot of news organizations. I'll it'll say, Jim Beerfield saves the world, and I'll go, excellent, I want to read that article. I click on it. It's not an article. It's a video clip that might be two minutes. Now, while I normally say I, I'm fine watching videos. If I thought that was going to be an article and it's a video, sometimes I won't watch it. Yeah. And, and sometimes I want it to be both and I realize how hard it is to create both, <laughs> but, but I want, I want it all. I want, I want it exactly how I want it. <laughs>
1: And I, you know, I've been in this industry for a while and I think I have a pretty good sense of, of, of buyers and what they want and how they behave. This one surprises me. The, the, the answer to this surprises me.
0: You, you thought it'd be a lot more video. And by the way, I do watch a lot of, I do have YouTube, st- everything I do on podcast now is moving uh, also to the video side onto YouTube. So I have a YouTube channel, as do virtually everybody on my podcast now. But what's interesting is, even though I do like watching little clips here and there, I find it difficult to watch long stuff on YouTube. Uh, and so I'm also watching more video on LinkedIn, but if it's a two minute clip, if it's, uh, if it's longer, sometimes I, I, I bail it's, 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 it's I'm, I think it's very hard to predict, but I think you got to give people the content they want. Yeah. Yeah. So you have another uh, question here. I never respond to an email sales pitch from a logistics company. How did that change from 2016 till today?
1: So very little. The people, for the most part, are saying we disagree with that. If somebody, you know, here's the rub, Joe. We talked about it earlier. If somebody sends me a targeted email that's got a clear value proposition that shows you know something about my business and the problem that I have, and you've got a possible solution. I'm open to that video. What they hate is the generic stuff. But I'd say most people disagree with the notion that I will never open an email from
0: from, uh, it, uh, but it has to—it has to be real target, and it probably is not going to be uh, a generic that I sent to ten thousand people,
1: right? No, no. The, the pe- people, you know, e- even the dear gym, you know, people recognize that's just part of some
0: automation program. You try to customize it, but they see through that. Yeah, and it's—it's it's interesting. I have an email list that I—I've uh, developed over time, and I was always pretty good about saying. If this isn't, if you don't want to be on this, I always say, put it at the bottom. If you don't want to be on this damn list, click here. I'm going to get really easy to subscribe. I don't want people on my list who don't want to be on it. But right now I'm not doing anything with it because I'm kind of repositioning it. It'll probably send send out podcast links or video links. But I thought I'm not sending anything. If, it's, if I don't have something valuable to send and I'm very confident that it's worthwhile, I don't want to send it. Because I feel like I've been on the other end of that too much. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I see the next question here, and this is a question that changed over time. It says, logistics companies should stop printing hard copy pr- promotional brochures and instead rely on electronics.
1: Yeah. I mean, that has shifted. And uh, you know why anybody would create a, a printed brochure today, I'm not quite sure why they would. But almost 70% said no to that, 30%. Disagreed with it, but most of the people were just saying, "Hey, you know, that's not how we need to
0: get the information." You used to go if you saw a sales guy in the olden days, or went to a conference, and they gave you like a little bag of stuff, like a pen, a stapler, and uh, some promotional material. It was like, "Here's your swag bag." It was like exciting. It was like cool. I got a pen. I don't know why it was exciting, but <laughs> it was. It was promotional material. Seemed. Really cool. Now, if I go to a conference and somebody's like, hey, take this.
1: I can't remember the last time I did a printed piece for a company. We do lots of collateral and stuff, but it's all electronic.
0: Yeah. it's it. it, it and by the way, nothing feels worse, I think, for all of us is to t- take a big pile of stuff we got in the mail and throw it into the recycle, <laughs> recycle bot bin right away. And the same thing happens with printed materials. So you get some, you go, I uh, read it. What am I going to do with it? <laughs> I can Throw it in this, throw it out. Let me put it in this, uh, let me put it in this folder
1: and file it away. <laughs> I mean, that, that doesn't happen anymore.
0: One last question. So it says, I don't mind, this is the last question. I don't mind providing my contact information in order to download useful content. So how did that change over time? I mean, generally speaking, people are, are okay with that. In the latest survey
1: even more people are saying it's okay seventy five percent said i'll do that if if, if it's something I want to read, I'll give you that but we've already talked about this, yeah, you know give away your content don't Don't make it harder for people to consume the information you want them to consume because you know there's there's people who simply won't a percentage of the audience will not give their email because they don't want to get inundated with emails and
0: phone calls so don't lose those people by gating it yeah i think there's another piece to it which which is um if you, if you if you let them download and it says hey we won't bug bug you about this and and i think there's a, also a big difference let's just say i'm going to buy, get a new 3pl and i know i don't like the current one and in 6 months we're up for renewal I might start downloading stuff at different places. It doesn't mean I'm gonna to buy today. I, I could be downloading something to educate myself on a business six months, even a year, two years ahead of time. And and look, I might just want to say I I there's there's a new thing happening in the business. I don't understand it. So I download some content. Please don't assume I need to buy your stuff right away.
1: Yeah. What we do, just a quick quickie aside on this, you know, sort of our, our model these days is to essentially take the con- content of let's say it's an ebook put it online let them get it it's all there on a web page you know maybe two or three paragraphs in hey hey more comfortable with a pdf want to print it out read it over lunch or something here it is so we don't and about 20% of people do 20 25% actually for whatever reason they, they want they want to print it out. So we give them that option, but we don't force them.
0: Right, Right. Yeah. So I think it's just being, just trying to be considerate, being cool. You know, that the old Google thing, don't be evil. And again, I think we just get rambunctious. We get so happy when we get some emails of people we want to work with. Um, I think, you know, one of the things I've done in the past is if somebody downloads something, I'll connect with them on LinkedIn and say something like, hey, uh, thanks for downloading my stuff. What'd you think? If I think it's appropriate. And again, I just feel like, it it's almost as if uh, it reminds me of um I used to work with guys and a- any woman who smiled at us at a restaurant, like the waitress, they always say she likes us. I was like, She's our waitress. She's smiling. <laughs> <You're> working <laughs> were, for the tip. <laughs> and they were from another country and they always go, you know, she smiled at us. I was like, come on, guys. And I was thinking, that's so creepy. She's allowed to smile with us without us going uh getting married, right? And it's the same with it's the same with prospects here let them let them engage without it becoming, you know, uh, an automatic sale. Anyway, Jim, let's wrap this bad boy up. So we'll make this, we'll take a link. I'll put a link to this whole report. And again, this is 19 pages, but it's very nicely organized. I really like what you've done with this. It got better every year or every uh, two years, I should say. So thank you for sharing it with us, but I'll put a link to this. So anyone who wants to get it, and if you sell or market to shippers, this is for you. And so is Jim is for you. Yeah. Because <laughs> what this tells me and should tell you also is Jim actually understands who you sell to.
1: <laughs> and one of the things I really tried hard to do, Joe, and you can see it just by leafing through it, I cl- included a lot of verbatims. So this yes, is the, this is like the absolute that. voice of the customer. The people on the other end of, the, of your email and phone call telling you what you should or shouldn't do. Pretty powerful.
0: Yes, so when when the boss says go get the actual voice of the customer, you can get it from Jim. <laughs> so we covered a lot of ground here. Oh, we talked a little bit about buyer complaints, and again, uh, I won't rehash that because we we went all over it. But you know how they want to engage, and you mentioned the whole hide and seek and reverse. We talked about the dark funnel where people want to you know explore our brands, understand our brands, understand our companies without having directly engage with us. And we're seeing that more and more. So uh, I think part of the message today was create really great content, develop a niche, develop useful content that people want to engage with and let them engage on their own terms. And I think, you know, this is, again, since 2014, you've been doing this. So you've got some great insights and uh, I thank you for sharing them. But anyway, final thoughts on this topic before we wrap it up. You know, I think my sort of, you know, headline observation
1: about logistics companies is that they spend way too much time thinking about, you know, how are we going to engage? Are we going to use social? Are we going to send emails? How about are we going to advertise here, there, anywhere? And they spend very, very little time, Joe, thinking about what they're actually going to say. And that to me is completely backwards. So, you know, I like to talk about us as a strategy first logistic marketing company. Because you have to figure out in this really noisy market where everybody sounds the same, you know, what is is it that you're going to say? What's your niche that's going to get them to remember you? Okay. And then you can worry about how do we take that very powerful, resonant message and get it in front of people? Whatever the tactic is or whether the channel is, that's secondary to the message. A lot of logistics companies have it backwards. You know, they, they're kind of like, yeah. What we do is what a lot of other people do, but you're going to get lost in the world. Where's Waldo illustration if that's your ad?
0: Yeah, I love that. And by the way, I've, I've said this a few times to people um, regarding podcasts. One of the reasons I really like podcasts, I've done a lot of writing in the past, blog posts, hard to get your point of view out sometimes, not impossible, be a good rep writer. I was never good enough. I think we call myself persistent. But one of the things I like about podcasts and even webinars where you, or video is if you can get your your... Personality to come through if you can get your point of view to come through. Jim, you've got a unique perspective, a unique point of view, and that needs to come through. And I think so often when we create content, it ends up with uh, techno babble in it or some of that other uh, you know formal speak that doesn't let your company's point of view come through. And I think this is this is a little bit of the challenge I think that um, we we fight with is how do we get this. This, this message and this niche communicated properly.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love that point, Joe. That's sort of the human aspect of things. There's a, there's a quote I like from a guy named Antonio Damasio, and he said, people are not thinking machines that feel. They're feeling machines that think. So that's, that's to your point, all the techno babble you might find on a white paper. People want to sort of like, you know, understand
0: a little bit more about you on a human level, a personal level. Right, and it should be no s- surprise to anyone who listens to my podcast. But I say this all the time—you know—before we hit record, I want my audience to know, like, and trust my guest. I want them to relate on some level. Why? Because you're more likely to buy from somebody that you know, like, trust, and relate to on some level. Yeah. So if somebody comes on and brags, like, you know, uh, how great they are, uh, that's not going to make you very likable, right? And then I always say I also like to, uh, my guest to be presented as a recognized industry expert. Why? Because people want to work with experts. They don't want to work with salespeople. They want to work with people who know what they're talking about. And not the salespeople can't be experts. Most of them are, but that's, that's why I think, you know, some of the new mediums are are so important because people speak informally and you get that point of view that comes out and hopefully some personality that comes through and you go, you know, I like that gal. I want to work with her. (laughs) Anyway, enough of my blather. So, um, What's new over at Logistics Marketing Advisors? First off, who do you serve? Who's your sweet spot?
1: You know, we, we tend to serve the mid-market, you know, people that don't have a very, very large, you know, marketing department. And we actually become their marketing department on sort of a virtual basis. You know, I would even call myself a, uh, what do they call that? A fractional CMO at a couple of the clients where they don't ne- even have a, an internal marketing department, but, you know, we're it. So that's probably the sweet spot for us, that mid-market that doesn't want to have an outsized marketing department, but you know the, they want the benefits of people who really know the space well.
0: I would say this also, and I'm just saying this to be, be nice to you, Jim, it's the truth. You could hire a new CMO and they could come from another space and they say, I'm going to get up to speed on this space. Well, this is a... Uh, unique space. There's a lot of technology that's new in it. There's a lot of uh, the existing operational capability. You've been doing this a while. So when they when you say you're the fractional CMO, the fractional CMO who's been there got the hat.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's uh, the slow, slow or no ramp up time, yeah. Excellent. Well, Jim, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to Logistics Marketing Advisors, and I'll put a link to this very cool report that we talked about today. And again, that's the Logistics Buyer Survey. If you're trying to understand why buyers buy, check this out. And if you like it, check out what uh, what Jim's doing over at Logistics Marketing Advisors. Cool. Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward.